Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Matt, in uh, AES's office. Matt, after a long weekend, it's Tuesday, everybody's busy, but I felt like it was important to try and get behind the mic. What do you think? Absolutely. Always important to get behind the microphone. Good. Well, before we get going, folks out there, if you want to support the show, please do us a huge favor and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Or if you simply want to hit us up on LinkedIn, uh, we're always you know, willing to hear everyone's feedback, any thoughts, or any stories you guys want to share. Um, hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com as well. We've always got an influx of folks uh, emailing, just providing insight and, and, and sharing stories. We always love to hear stories. And uh, Matt, what do you think today we cover wellbore instability? I think it's a great topic. I mean, there's a lot to unpack, but it comes up more than often enough that we should get into it. Obviously. I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, with proper wellbore stability, that's what ultimately uh, gives us a successful wellbore. So, um, you know, every single day, mud engineers, us folks in the office, uh, it's something that we're constantly monitoring, you know, with regards to mud properties. And uh, just, you know, whole conditions in general. So I figured we could unpack that and give the listeners a little bit more insight on that. What do you think? Sounds good to me. Awesome. Well, first of all, Matt, you know, can you define wellbore instability and, and kind of some of the factors uh, that would contribute to, you know, what it is and how a well can go from being stable as we start drilling it, why it actually becomes unstable? Sure. I mean, and if you think about it, at its most fundamental point is you took the dirt away. Um, you know, you had this rock that was supporting other rock and you took it away and now it, it has this void space and the only pressure you're applying is your mud weight. And so if that's insufficient to counter um, the way this rock is maybe stacked on top of itself or pushing, um, it's going to try and find the lowest stress environment it can and that may be by collapsing. Um, and so... You know, that can happen, uh, you know, that can be one way to look at it. I mean, mean, the mechanisms are probably the easiest way to understand it. But then, you know, you could even talk about chemical interaction, Uh, shale inhibition. We've talked about uh, water phase salinity and brittling the formation and how, you know, it's a remote but very real possibility. Um, So there's, there's a number of different ways, although I would say a lot of it happens to be what you drill through and how you drill through it. That makes sense. Well, why don't you touch on geomechanics? I mean, topics like creep and sloughing, mm. um, those, those types of sort of buzzwords get thrown around, but I, I just don't think people have a true understanding, or at least, you know, myself included, don't have a true understanding of what that is. So can you, can you describe that a little bit? Well, I mean, I, I think it goes and, and directly ties into um, just that, that inherent stress on the rock and the fact that you removed that material that was supporting it. So it's going to try and reach a new equilibrium state. You took away some support and now it's going to try and move around and find a position it's more comfortable with. And so creep, for example, would just be an example of, of that hole. Maybe as you know, the overburden is pushing down, it, it wants to turn that round hole into an oval shape. Sure. Um, and with that, you could have sloughing. You could have chunks of material that fall off because they're separated by laminations and they broke off 
as you expose that formation. Um, and so there can be a number of these different areas, particularly when you're transitioning from one formation to the next. Um, directional profile can have a huge, when we think about these horizontal wells, the angle with which I'm building through a, uh, a bunch of layered sections, um, there just may not be enough density to support uh, the material. And I, I think, you know, creep is, is probably one of the most interesting ones to me just because I've been around a few different places or invo- been involved in projects where um, Indonesia, you know, very volcanically active. And so it was, if you didn't run casing right away, you would always do a clean out run. Mm. If, if you had some delay because they knew that the, the tectonic stresses were so great on that rock, it would move within 72 hours. Wow. And I saw the same thing in Colombia. I mean, it was like a ring of fire thing, but um, everybody locally said, you know, if, if we don't get out of the hole within and, and get casing past this point in 72 hours, we're pulling back out, we're going to do a clean out run, and we're going to do it again. Mm. Um, and it was just, they understood the timing of when this rock failed. Uh, so it was, it was a very interesting environment and something that, you know, goes back to that local knowledge of how the rock behaves when you drill through it, that'd be pretty helpful. Absolutely. So what about uh, with regards to instability? I mean, that, that a lot of that is, is clearly mechanical issues and, and challenges that you've overcome. Um, what about, you know, chemical? There's, there's obviously chemical instability happening. There's, you know, fluid invading into the wellbore. There's reaction happening there, um, you know, from a chemical level. And so describe a little bit about what we're seeing downhole when, you know, things entering the wellbore may actually cause some instability. Yeah. So, I mean, the first one could just be swelling. You, you know, you'll probably see that you drill through a reactive clay, it swells and expands. Um, you know, what, what do you do? Um, obviously inhibition is probably your best way to go. Um, and then you can have chemical embrittlement where perhaps I dehydrate the, the mud. Um, but then there's even, as, as you've mentioned, uh, where you might have these laminations and fluid can invade in between these laminations and kind of help the rock separate. Um, and so that, that's a fairly interesting one where a lot of, you know, a lot of times when we have well-born stability, we talk about tightening up our fluid loss, um, making sure we can limit that invasion. Um, you know, it's a number of times where we see some of those black powders and, and that sort of thing can really help us stabilize a shale because they'll, they'll seal up really tiny fractures between, between those bedding planes. Interesting. So, uh, you mentioned a little bit about overpressure and, and pressure burden. So, I mean, a lot of times for wellbore stability, you're really, um, focusing on the proper density to keep the hole open. But, you know, I've even seen in some cases where you increase the density and you have too much overburden, uh, to where you can actually induce wellbore instability. Are you, have you come across that? Um, not really. Um, although I think, I mean, it, it certainly sounds feasible just by way of a lot of that I attribute to even like um, ECD swings, mm. right? So you were okay at the mud weight you weighted up to. And then with drilling, what happened is you had a higher equivalent circulating pressure on the rock. You stressed it a little bit, you stopped drilling and take that off. And it turns out that mm-hmm. that state is just enough to, to start seeing some cavings. Okay. No, that um, makes sense. And, and certainly, I, I mean, you know, overpressured shales are one. Of, when you look at, for example, cavings analysis, trying to find out what's going on, overpressured shales are the easiest because they look like these splinters and they pop right out and, you know, okay, I drilled into a high pressure zone right. and I need to wait up. It's, it's like the most obvious one. Then when we get into other cavings, they're kind of blocky usually, but depending on how they look, you can get a lot of different opinions. 
Um, so overpressured cavings, which we'll, we'll get into observations, but um, overpressured cavings are one of those I kind of feel like you know it when you see it. Gotcha. Um, and there's only one thing to do, and that's wait up. Interesting. So um, with regards to, uh, we talked obviously about, you know, chemically uh, providing wellbore stability. What kind of chemicals actually increase wellbore stability? So um, from, a, from just a, a wellbore stabilization perspective, um, if we're talking about reactive shales, that could be a shale inhibitor. That could be a little bit of KCL or a salt. Um, there's a number of different things. Even, even you know, higher up, you may not have instability, but that, that swelling side of things could be seen. Um, and even a little bit of PHPA could go a long way. Um, so, so those are, are definitely some options. I've mentioned some of the, the black powder materials and something to really tighten up your fluid loss uh, can help. Um, and then even, even on a stability perspective, um, you know, a lot of it can be driven by mud weight. Um, so as you know, sometimes people say, well, what's a wellbore stabilizing agent? My response is, well, Bayrite's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. The right amount of hydrostatic helps, uh, tremendously. And then, you know, in some cases you don't need all those fancy chemicals and to spend a bunch of money is if you have the right density, uh, that can, you know, ultimately save you in a number of, of occasions. Sure. Well, and, and that's one of the big challenges is, you know, if, if it was always the case, we just wait up to 18 pounds per gallon and drill everything, right? But of course, yeah, we have things called loss, you know, loss circulation and fracture gradients to deal with. Um, but what is interesting is if you get the mud weight right, if we're just talking about, you know, your typical caving scenario um, on a mechanically stressed situation, what, what you find is that if you get your mud weight high enough, it would actually, it's actually lower than what it would take if you started drilling saw cavings and had to keep waiting up. Mm. Um, because once you kind of put those things in motion, they don't really want to stop until they reach that new kind of equilibrium stress state. Um, mm. And so some of that requires even more mud weight. Um, other times I've, I've been involved in uh, scenarios where we're getting cavings, getting cavings, getting cavings, all of a sudden it stopped. And we could get out of the hole, no problem. I mean, it took forever because we were trying to circulate all these cuttings out, which is, or not cuttings, cavings. It was a nightmare. But um, once we got them all worked out, uh, what was explained to me was that we actually had a phenomenon called, called arching taking place, where basically if you think of the, uh, that round hole in a horizontal hole, um, when the top part falls in, you get like kind of a new archway over the top. Oh. And it's kind of a, that arch has its own new stress strength, I guess, is the way to describe it. Um, and, uh, and that was a new uh, equilibrium state where now the hole would stay open. And we were able to not only get out of the hole, but we were able to get casing down. No kidding. Yeah. Or otherwise. So it basically unloaded, unloaded, unloaded until that top part of the wellbore caved away. But then eventually you had enough hydrostatic and you had enough wellbore stability where it would just stop. Yep. Huh. Interesting. No, that's something I've never come across. So certainly something to keep in mind. Um, how would you be able to identify if that was happening versus like literally your hole just was continuing to come apart? Obviously, the amount of cuttings coming over the shakers would be a clear indication. But it, was there anything else that gave you an idea as to like how, you know, or, or at what point you knew, okay, now we're good and we don't have to adjust, the, you know, any more fluid? Or is it simply just looking at, you know, the cuttings coming across? I mean, I think it was, well, it was mainly the cavings in as much as, 
you know, one, one thing at the Shakers, this is where a mud engineer, you know, really can earn, earn some money is seeing those cavings and getting pictures of them. And you can see, okay, this has been worked over a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. These has got rounded edges. I know it didn't fall off in a disc. It, it came off in a chunk. Um, and so we started seeing, you know, that worked over material and we weren't, we weren't seeing new kind of blocky, sharp edged cavings anymore. Um, and I think the other thing is we were just having so much trouble getting out of the hole that we all, we were expecting to lose the BHA. Mm. We were, I mean, it took us probably three or four days to get out of the hole. And so our assumption was we were hosed and I don't look forward to trying to sidetrack through this stuff. No um, kidding. And so it was only keeping working our way out, working our way out. And it was because we keep moving the pipe, we keep circulating. We, you know, you, you kind of got to do something. And eventually it was like, oh, weird. I'm kind of not really backreaming anymore. This is odd. Right. Um, so uh, it was just an interesting scenario. And, and later, some of the subsurface folks uh, with that team were like, yeah, you know, this is what we think happened. Mm. And I was like, you know, pretty interesting. Yeah, I know. I would say. So talking a little bit more at the rig site, um, you know, what type of, uh, you know, what can we focus on as mud engineers or folks out on the rig to be able to understand what's happening downhole with regards to wellbore instability? I mean, I think one of the biggest things first is just to get samples of those cavings, take pictures of them and preserve them. If you're, if you're, you know, put them in a, a container, pour base oil on top of it, preserve them, get them into town. The other thing is, um, you know, take pictures and send them in so other people can look at them, get some different opinions. But, uh, um, you know, see if you can identify the formation. Somebody out there might know and sometimes it's, you know, someone in town says, well, I'm pretty sure we're in this. And it's like, well, that's interesting because nobody out here thinks that. Right. Um, and the other part of it is uh, if there's mud loggers out there, you know, hey, what do you think this came from? Can you can you give me some information? Because they're, you know, they're typically scaled or skilled in identifying formation characteristics. Right. Um, and so, you know, we, we had one issue where um, we had a lot of instability and we set somebody out there just to monitor and, and try and get as much information as we could to solve the problem and um you know the the irony was the hardest work the extra tech had to do was order a bunch of pizza and give it to the mud loggers because the <laughs> mud loggers were already doing a lot of that work it was just make nice with them and we'll have all the information along with some samples that we can test nice so would you would you say with regards to wellboard geometry i mean are you more likely to see wellbore instability in, you know, the lateral, the curve, the vertical? Um, I mean, is there, is there really any where in the wellbore it's predominantly happening or, you know, within certain formations, is it more predominant? I, I mean, I think it depends on how you drill through it. Uh, you know, I don't know how, you know, strata doesn't always go left to right as, you know, if you were looking down. Right. But um, the way you intersect that, intersect that does have a huge effect. Um, like one of the areas I used to work in Azerbaijan, we had a horrible problem and it was only if we drilled off one side of the platform, but guess what? That's where the oil was and they're not moving the platform. So it was, you know, guys figured out. Yeah. Um, and the hard part was mud weight was what would solve the problem, but we would go on losses if we waited up that much, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so directional and and talking to drilling engineers and subsurface folks you can normally get a lot of this information and you kind of sound smart like if you say like well is this because of intersection with bedding planes or you know (laughs) you ask a question like that or are we in a transition zone where maybe i'm 
I'm changing in rock strengths and something's going to fall out underneath a stronger piece of rock that had no problem staying open. Um, those kinds of things, uh, normally they get a drilling engineer or a subsurface engineer talking and you can learn a whole lot from them and it may actually foster some ideas on how you could attack the problem. Right. Um, so I like to try and ask some more open-ended questions. And if, if the customer has a subsurface team, um, those poor folks, one, I mean, they may skewer half of the things we say today, which is, which is fine. Um, but they also, I think, are some of the most underappreciated um, folks because they do all this modeling. They do all this work and they say, well, theoretically, we need to do this. And of course, a lot of drilling engineers are like, ah, it's interesting that you think that. I'm going to go do whatever I want. <laughs> um, there, there always seems to be a little bit of friction between those teams. Um, and, but if you can get both of them in a room or talk to both of them and kind of moderate, uh, you can learn a lot and get everybody on the same page. That makes sense. No, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, bedding planes and sort of drilling at certain angles through certain formation actually plays a big role. I remember being in Colorado drilling Niobrara wells and there's a, a formation called the Sharon Springs, which everyone you know, back in 2011, 12, 13 was absolutely terrified of this. And it was, it was all, you know, they would add a bunch of, you know, different chemicals to try and inhibit that formation. Um, but you know, in time, from what my experience, we found that, you know, having the right density going through there and cutting it at a certain, you know, the more vertical you could cut it, the better. Mm -hmm. So the Codel formations that we were drilling were deeper. So you would hit the Sharon Springs, you know, almost vertically and then drill your curve and it was fine. But then our is a lot of times you'd start cutting it. And if, and if you were, you know, anything at 30 degrees or more always caused issues. So, um, you know, it's been a while since I've been up there, but that was certainly something that, you know, it was formation and related regarding, you know, the angle that you were drilling it with. And so if you were to drill it at a higher angle, you needed a little bit of a higher mud weight. And so, um, but yeah, it's, it, you always, it kind of goes back to just planning and understanding, you know, the whole forest versus just, you know, one tree. Cause you know, a lot of folks spent a lot of money trying to inhibit that formation with, you know, certain chemicals, but ultimately it just came down to proper density uh, management and, you know, wellbore geometry. So, sure. And I, I mean, I think there's that temptation, you know, density is a really easy answer. And I think there's not an easy answer for exactly what's going on. I mean, we're not down there. Right. Um, we can't ask the rock how it feels, but what we do find is, a lot of that, you know, you can get geomechanic models put together. You can ask folks and typically it can be quite expensive, you know, for a big project, it's probably worth it. But these folks do this, this modeling with what information they have. It's probabilistic. It's not precise. Um, and it's, you know, their best guess. And, you know, I found sometimes we're all kind of, you know, engineers like to call it a safety factor. I call it sandbagging, but I mean, <laughs> um, it, you know, we give ourselves a little bit more room than we think we need. Um, and sometimes we, we paint ourselves into a corner and we can't attack the problem directly because we've sort of got this fuzzy cloud of information. Um, so, it, but, but it is, it is very interesting. Once you learn those rules, like do not drill through this section beyond 30 degrees. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then everybody plans their wells around it and they find success and it's, it's much, much cheaper to inconvenience yourself a little bit on your directional profile. than it would be to, to fight it every time. Right. So how, how important is hole cleaning with regards to wellbore instability? I mean, I'm assuming it's pretty important, but for the folks out there, I mean, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the really important things to capture is 
that when you have those large cavings, they're much more difficult to circulate out, right? A lot of times what we see at surface is what was small enough to get circulated out. It's normally been knocked around quite a bit by rotating drill pipe. Um, and wherever it's caved in, your annulus got bigger. So right. now I have something larger I've got to circulate out with not the flow rate I wanted. Um, and so it's going to take a lot longer. And that stuff is probably going to get worked over and you're gonna ha- it's going to be a fight. Um, and I think when we talk about hole cleaning even, this, this can get easily confused where it's like, no, no, those are cavings. Like, I, that's not just stuff that came from the bit. That's stuff that came from the well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a, a totally different animal. So when, I, when there are questions about hole cleaning and we're dealing with well bore instability, I like to emphasize, even if our mud weight goes up and things sort of go away, it's like, right, but you've got that spot further back where, you know, you've probably got 100% washout. Yeah. You know, like, and, and that's where the cuttings are probably going to build up if we're not careful. Right. So, um, you know, assuming that happens, you know, what, what do you suggest if you know you have, you know, a cavern that you've mm-hmm. basically allowed to happen? Um, and, and, you know, obviously your angular velocities through those zones, dr- you know, dramatically reduced. You know, what are some things that we can do to make sure that spot of the well, because you're never going to get those, you know, that, that the annulus is never going to be the way it was. So what can you do to ensure that that part of the well gets cleaned? I mean, I think pipe movement can go a long way. I, I, I mean, I think at that stage where you've had that kind of a fight, you're usually pretty cautious and you're just trying to lick your wounds and get to TD. Right. Um, and, and hopefully that level of caution with just, okay, we're going to be patient. We're going to drill at a reasonable rate. I'm going to work my pipe, maybe short trip, keeping an eye on my torque. Just, just make sure everything is where, as it should be. Um, and, and you know, that, that can be a big challenge just to make sure even you've, you may have this ledge you've built up. You, you may have some other, you know, issue of your own creation that, uh, you've got to be careful with because you're going to run casing, which is even stiffer after this. Yeah. Um, you may need a lot more excess cement than you originally planned on. Um, so, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is patience. Um, and like any of these drilling problems, to me, it's get as much information as you can right now. Where are we drilling? What happened? What formation was it? Show me pictures. Um, you know, let's get samples because, um, you know, we don't normally just drill one well in an area. Mm-hmm. And the, the more offset, the more we can learn from the nightmare you are currently experiencing, the better off we are for the next one where you can, you know, hopefully not forget about it, but move on. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I think we touched on most of it, Matt, but one thing we really didn't talk about was trips. So, I mean, a lot of times you can actually induce wellbore instability when coming out of the hole. If your swab pressures are, you know, if, if you're swabbing out of the hole and your swab pressures are enough to, to kind of bring that wellbore in. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and, you know, what to, watch out for and things that you know could ha- potentially happen that's actually a really good point um and and something i think uh, a lot of folks ignore one is when you have a mud weight don't lower your mud weight um you know <laughs> yeah. i've run into a number of, of incidents where i go talk to the customer and they say well you know we were running 11.5 and then to run casing we thought it would be good to you know kind of cut it back so we ran it we ran it down to about 11.2 well now you've got even less support for the rock and now you're out of the hole and it's just got time to decide if it wants to fail on you and trips when you talk about swabbing um it's not too different i've i've taken off my ecd if i go if i go and and start pulling out of the hole and i do 
introduced some swabbing where I reduced the overall wellbore pressure um, among, among a number of other issues that you can cause would be as simple as sort of lowering that equivalent pressure that's on the formation where you're, I mean, relatively speaking, pulling on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that rock has even less pressure than it's ever seen um, when you were drilling through it. And so it's a great chance for things to start caving in. Um, so it's, there, there's definitely a risk there. And, and think, about, think about how we could make this even more complicated. Let's say I've got a swelling shale um, and my BHA is all gummed up and I'm coming out of the hole because of that problem. And I have very little clearance, so now I'm risking swabbing the well, and maybe there's a layer that's brittle enough and ready to collapse on me. Um, you know, you could see how different different scenarios could kind of create a number of different problems. Exactly, and it's not even you know tripping out of the hole, obviously swabbing, but even if if you're having to trip frequently, just that you know frequent surge and swab, you know, going in, coming out, you know, that that change in in equivalent mud weight down hole can eventually cause things to become brittle, I would imagine, too. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's that swing of, of ECD mm-hmm. that uh, we were talking about earlier, where, you know, you push and pull on rock enough, and, it, and if it's got cracks in it, eventually, it's going to cave in. Yeah. Um, so, it's, uh, it's a really good point, just as much as, you know, we know how drillers are. They're very competitive, and they want to get out of the hole as fast as they can and break a record or get in as quick as they can. Um, but that's a that's a pretty significant way, and and uh, certainly it'll probably happen near your BHA, which is kind of a really bad thing with respect to the notion that you've got very little clearance and you could get stuck. Right. So, and and even on that too, when you're coming out of the hole, if your hole fill um, is 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 off too, that could be a sign you may not see it. But if you're noticing that your hole isn't taking proper volume, you may recognize that you're actually increasing. Uh, you know, volume down hole, which is something I've experienced. One other thing too, I was uh, going to mention, this actually happened a while ago with uh, one of the customers um, just talking, was talking about drill string vibration. Mm-hmm. They've even uh, attributed to wellbore instability with different, you know, with the amount of drill string vibration. Now, I don't know how you could essentially like eliminate that or prevent that, but you know, you think about, you know, especially if you're saying a rotary steerable situation where you're constantly rotating, you know, down hole, that vibration and that, you know, that force hitting up against a wellbore can also cause it, which, you know, again, it's things sometimes that a guy doesn't think about, but certainly things to consider. Sure. Well, if, if you think about BHA mechanics in general, um, you know, you hear about some of these black boxes they put inside a bit to, with accelerators to see how, how the tools are getting beat up. Um, and what you see is, you know, you may be rotating a certain speed at surface, and you may actually be just charging a bunch of energy into the pipe. And then when you stop, all that energy has got to get released. Um, and so all of a sudden you have this erratic movement on your BHA um, that knocks around the rock and introduces, you know, additional impact and stress. Um, so it's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I wouldn't discourage anybody from rotating their pipe. Um, <laughs> yeah. But bear in mind, that's where some of these, they call, I think they call them soft torque or stick slip tools um they're designed to help alleviate some of that uh, because it affects everything but it it certainly uh well-worn stability is is another risk beyond issues with directional tools and and failure and that kind of thing right interesting well matt i mean that's really all i could think of regarding questions you got any closing last words for the audience I mean, I, I think if you have a problem, um, I think chemical, we kind of usually know what it is. On, on the geomechanics side of things, 
most of the time it's a mud weight issue. Whether we can do anything about it is another question. But whatever happens, you know, get pictures of those cavings. Um, we even for our titration charts with our mud engineers, we have a little grid on the back mm-hmm. and instructions on how to send samples into the lab. Um, <laughs> just because we want those pictures, and you can write what what depth and they're laminated, so you can wipe it off and and write a new depth and take a new picture. Um, but those things really help give scale and aspect ratio, um, and and we can you know get the mineralogy of those samples, identify what formation they came from, um, and then I think from you know from the office side, uh, if there is somebody who's involved in a subsurface team, um, they're worth getting to know. Uh, I think they're an often overlooked resource, um, and they can just be helpful when you hear their opinion, whether whether your experience tells you to agree with it or not um keeping them in the loop sometimes just building that relationship later on they'll volunteer information that would be like oh good i can i can make a better med program because of this yeah um so i mean it's it's one of those we're always trying to get to the bottom of it but um it takes information there's a lot of uncertainty um and i i think i don't know the more information we can get the more the better right uh, but, you know, actually, and not to cut you off, but something I was thinking about before we close out here, um, if you're on a rig with PWD, mm-hmm. that can also help identify what's going on down hole. You, can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah. And I mean, PWD or pressure well drilling is, is a, normally it would be if you're running a rubber steerable tool. That's the most likely scenario where a lot of, a lot of those assemblies just come with one. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't not have it. Um, but what it does is it gives you your downhole pressure while drilling. And the great thing about that is you can actually see what your ECD is while drilling and get that information while drilling. Um, and so it can give you an idea and you can also look for changes and that can give you a, a pretty good idea. Not only do I, do I have a huge swing or is there something else that happened that might be indicative of a wellborn stability event? Um, so uh, it can be a fairly helpful tool um, it seems that everybody really, really loves their directional motors, so we don't we don't see as much of it as we like. But that's another great point: is you know, if, if that hand is out there on the rig, go run and get that get that spreadsheet. Like, hey, can I just have the the pressure readings for the last you know section? Um, and they're usually willing to share it. You can kind of graph that up against formations and and look for for variances. Right. Um, A lot of that ultimately ultimately comes down to trends. Just like, you know, exactly. a lot of what we do, you know, on the mud side of things is, is monitoring trends. So, um, you know, looking at the pressures and if the, yeah, you have a big swing or a massive drop or a, a massive increase, you know, most of the time people on the ray will recognize that. But certainly on the mud side, if, if you can also be dialed into looking at that, it's just, you know, kind of adds a little bit more value to the, to the rig site and everyone, you know, within the project. So, uh, but anyway, just something that kind of popped into my head. It was a, Something that a group of us were talking about the other day with regards to hole cleaning and wellbore stability was PWD, and they were debating whether or not to run it. So mm. it's kind of an interesting topic. But uh, again, I think that's it for today, Matt. Um, everyone out there, please share it, like it, and if you have any ideas for a show, hit us up. That's it for now. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.